listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. If you're in the business of getting business, then this is the show for you. Each week, I'm fortunate enough to sit at the feet of experts, leading experts on the topics of sales, business development, client development, relationship building, building a brand of authority. And today, our guest is Tom Nixon. Tom is the co-founder of the Thought Leader Collaborative. It's a community of professional service providers where they learn and collaborate to convert their subject matter expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. The Thought Leader Collaborative, it guides professionals along a proven path to grow their practices on LinkedIn based on demonstrated best practices employed by other successful thought leaders. Tom and his partner, Jay Harrington, who was also a previous guest several times on this show, they both host the Thought Leadership Project podcast weekly. I'd highly recommend checking that out. I'm actually going to put their show link on the show notes of this podcast. Check it out. There's some great ideas there. And they provide tips, insights, and guidance on all matters related to thought leadership content marketing. And today, our topic is going to be how to simplify your approach to marketing. I hope you get some great ideas from my interview with Tom today. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got a special guest on today, Tom Nixon. And Tom, we're going to be talking about how to simplify marketing. And thanks for joining us on the show today, Tom. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Scott. Yeah, it's great to get to know you a little bit better. I've been on your show with you and Jay's. I've had Jay on here a couple of times. And I'm a fan of the work that you do with the Thought Leadership Podcast. I think it's just solid content. And every time I listen to it, I learn something. And I like to sit at the feet of people like you and learn from you. And so kind of tell us about who you are. How long have you been in the working world? And what was kind of your path to getting to where you are today as a consultant? Do I really have to admit the timeline? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> uh, it started in the 1990s. Oh, okay. Um, so <laughs> I uh, pursued a failed career in music following college. And, failed career uh, in music. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, I was, I was touring in a rock group, trying to make it big. And we were touring with the likes of the Romantics and Cheap Trick. Oh. You know, some of the, it was kind of funny because they were kind of has-beens at the time. And now, uh, you know, we were the up-and-comers. But then we quickly became has been. So that didn't work out. Gave it about a four or five year go at it. And yeah, um, yeah. luckily I had a career, or I'm sorry, a, a degree, college degree to fall back on. And that was in English with a minor in journalism. So didn't know what to do with that. I was always kind of enamored with advertising and uh, I wanted Mitch Album's job. So he was a writer up here in the Detroit Free Press. So anyways, had no idea what to do with that. A friend of mine was at a PR firm. He said, well, you're, what you're talking about is essentially PR. We write journalism and we try to get it placed as a form of advertising. And I said, all right, well, give it a go. Hated it. And 30 years later, I was still in it. So, <laughs> um, but what happened is, is PR really evolved over the years. So it became probably in the, you know, around 2000, much more of what we were calling integrated communications mm -hmm. programs. Mm -hmm. So there was things like the internet popped up in the late nineties and then social media. And then we were all publishers with things like emails and websites. And now we have podcasts. And so staying on the forefront of that has sort of been my passion. And it's led me to where I am now, which is still doing some marketing. It's 
consulting, PR work, but really helping professionals understand the opportunities that exist specifically on LinkedIn. And that's the Thought Leader Collaborative that Jay and I co-founded with the third partner, Heather Harrington, just this year. That's great. And like I said, your content solid and it certainly helped me out. And you've kind of got a pretty broad perspective of what all different types of professionals, especially attorneys, are doing it with respect to rainmaking and business development. And we're talking about simplifying marketing. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, because of, and it's the only reason I admit it, I did admit to the timeline, because I've kind of been around since this whole thing was very simple in the beginning, mm-hmm. and it's gotten so complex now and confusing. Right. I think we've gotten to the point where people are doing one of two things. Either they're doing nothing because the paralysis by analysis is just, I just don't know what to do. And it all seems so overwhelming. So I do nothing. And we see a lot of attorneys and professionals that are still on the sidelines, even as though they are being tasked with doing rainmaking. So that's, that's unfortunate. The other thing that might happen is that people try to do a little bit of everything. And Mm -hmm. so they end up spreading themselves too thin. They do everything to little or no effect. And they find themselves extremely busy with no results. So we're to the point now where I think even I myself maybe have contributed to this problem, which is over the years, we kept adding things to the marketing stack Mm -hmm. and we never took anything away, right? So we're still doing email and we hopped on Facebook and we dabbled in Twitter and we're on LinkedIn and now Clubhouse comes calling. We still have our blog. We still have, maybe now we've got a podcast. It's just so much. And if you haven't taken anything away, what you've got is a really complex animal that's almost impossible for a professional service provider to keep up with, with right. all the other things you got going on. And I remember hearing on one of your recent podcasts, you're talking about just using one social media platform. Tell me about that. Yeah. And my partner, Jay, espouses the same thing. And actually, I found that out kind of by surprise because I read his blog one day and I'm like, Jay, you must be reading my email. This is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I think is the formula for success is really one plus one equals everything. And the one is, I really think, especially professional service providers like lawyers, accountants, consultants, they need to focus their social networking on one platform. Hmm. Not try to do a little bit of everything, but pick the one that you think has the greatest density of your target market and that an arena in which they are there to sort of inform business decisions. Mm -hmm. So in other words, yeah, every attorney I know might be either on Facebook or be a face looker as they call it, but are they going there because they're actually thinking about work and business? Probably not. Are they on TikTok doing that? Probably not. So, you know, if you could get singular about what social media network you're going to focus your activities on, it gives you permission to get rid of everything else. Literally everything else goes away. So that's one. And then the plus one is another mistake I think people make sort of being tempted by the allure of social media is they forget about the probably the most effective, highest ROI digital media platform in the world. And do you know what that is, Scott? What's that? Email. Uh, I was thinking that's what you're going to say. Yeah. And so you had to know if the uh is because Email is like, yeah, it's been around for a long time. It feels clunky. It feels like work. It doesn't feel like it's a sexy. It's not the next clubhouse or whatever. But the data shows that decision makers, business professionals spend six hours a day in front of their email. Hmm. And they're doing that because they have to. So there's no, like, you might be interrupting, but you're not tearing them away from their work, right. which is, you know, try to get someone, a busy attorney over to Clubhouse. And if they haven't already done it, they're probably not going to because it's, <laughs> that's not work. I need to focus on my work. So email is a place where you can capture people's attention. And it's 
probably one of the only communications platforms that is not driven by algorithms of which you have no control. That's right. And it's, yeah, that's interesting. And email's kind of free. I mean, I guess you have to pay for email distribution. So tell me this then, let's say I'm an attorney with a top 100 law firm Mm -hmm. and I have a marketing team that's helping me with all this. What could I do to get my presence in front of clients and prospects with email? What are some things that you've seen have worked for people like that? And then other, other professionals in general. You're right. I think what the question you were going to ask initially is, are we talking about things like a MailChimp or a constant contact? Right, right. And mostly I am, yes. So the firm, if you work at a mid to large size firm, they already have, you know, an e-newsletter probably of some sort, client alerts that go out. And you certainly want to have a place in that venue, right? So you want to go to the marketing department and say, I have an idea for content. Can I write this article or can I record this podcast? And will you blast it out to the firm's list? That's certainly part of it. But I would suggest that anyone building a book of business is in business for him or herself. And so they need to start taking responsibility for their own marketing if they're not already doing it and thinking of them, their practice as a business. And so you should have a mailing list. And the best thing about that is you already do. It's sitting somewhere in your outlook or your history or somewhere. You have a list of constituents. There are people who have referred you business, hired you in the past, friends and family that might refer you. Start with building that list and know that this is probably going to be the only thing you'll own forever. So, because who knows what's going to happen with LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, That's right. So this is a precious commodity and it needs to be treated as such. And then once you have that list, now what you're going to do is you're going to deliver content that that list is going to want over and over again, because they're going to start seeing the value that you provide and the expertise that you share. And if you do so with an abundance mindset, you're going to have very little to no unsubscribed. And now you've got an audience that you can market to whenever you want. And tell me about that. What does that mean, an abundance mindset? Well, a lot of the service professionals that we represent initially, early on, there's a hesitance to share quote unquote trade secrets or the secret sauce because they're afraid, you know, well, no one will pay me for it if I just give it away or couldn't a competitor see it. That's, you know, generally speaking, what we call a scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. but an abundance mindset says there's opportunity everywhere. And if I share, freely share my expertise with abundance to the people that I serve, They're going to get just enough to know that I'm the expert and trust me as a thought leader and as a, you know, someone with domain authority and expertise that when they do need to hire it out and they will, because nobody wants to do whatever it is that you do professionally. They don't want to do that themselves. They will hire it out and they will have either a short list that you will appear on or you will have eliminated the short list because you're the only one sharing expertise and ideas and inspiration with abundance. Right. So that's what we mean. Like be generous, give it away. You give, 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 give. And then when the time is right, thou shalt receive. And I think it's more than just a quid pro quo or reciprocity when people see it. I always take the line that everybody's in it for themselves and people are only going to do what's a priority for them at the moment. And if you put enough content out there that answers the question of, can this person solve my problem? Then when people see it at the right time, they're going to take action on that. What are some examples that you think would be good for people to send out to their email list? Let's just say that I'm a professional and I've decided I want to simplify my marketing. I'm going to take my Instagram page off or like me, (laughs) I only put pictures of 
of pretty paintings that I paint on, on my Instagram, <laughs> you know, and photos with my wife and kids and golf and things like that. But let's say they want to make LinkedIn number one, numero uno, that's going to be their primary vehicle to marketing. And they've got an email list and they've got a team that can help them manage that. And then they look at this and they say, what do I do next? What's kind of the direction that they should follow to really maximize their use of all these tools? Well, I think there's a preliminary step is being really clear about who it is that you're going to serve with your content, because that's Mm -hmm. your ideal customer. And I start there because so many times people want to build as big a list as possible, and they want to try to be a little bit of everything to everyone. And that's driven by what I call FOMO, which I'm sure you're familiar with FOMO, is the fear of marketing omission. So in other words... So not the fear of missing out, but it's a fear of leaving somebody out because there might be some huge opportunity out there. Right. But you end up in order to do so, you got to be such a generalist and you end up showing no depth and no expertise to anybody. So really get narrow and clear about who it is that you want to serve and make sure that that's the list that you're building. You can include other people in it who might have be a channel to that type of person, but you want to just keep in mind who it is that you're serving because that tees up the next thing that you would do, which is create a list of questions that those people, that discrete group tends to ask a lot and goes out looking to solve issues, problems, questions. And if you have clients in this arena, you already have these questions because they've already been asked of you, right? Somebody hired you to solve a problem. So make a list of the questions, the most common questions, the most recent questions. That's a great idea. Maybe the most compelling questions too, right? So it was pretty easy to make a list of the last 14 months. It was things around COVID and pandemic and isolation and remote work and all that stuff. So that's, you know, who do I serve and what do they ask? Let me kind of ask you this about the questions that they come up with. How do you think they should come up with these? Should they just intuitively know what their clients are thinking about? Should they do research? Should they do surveys? Should they look at trade association websites and see what the breakout sessions are? You know, what are, what are some things that would help them to really figure out what's on the mind of their prospects? Scott, you're pro because I would say yes, 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 and yes. Right. And so the easiest thing to do is to start with your intuition. Right. But the best thing to do is to keep a little journal or whatever you digitally record notes and just write at the top questions from clients. And then you'll get emails, because if you have a place to put them, then you'll be prompted when somebody, a client asks you right. a question, gives it, sends you an email, gives you a phone call, write all of those things down so you're capturing in real time. If you feel like you're not getting enough of that input, call a handful of clients and ask them what they're dealing with. They'll actually appreciate the fact that you're listening to their needs and, and want to be attentive to them. You might actually even drum up an opportunity because Absolutely. they might say, yeah. well, one thing that we're struggling with, can't figure out how to solve is X, Y, and Z. So that's one thing. And then, yeah, doing the research, you know, the trade media will be, uh, usually has their finger on the pulse of what's important to constituents. So whatever, again, it goes back to that who and defining the who narrowly, because if the who is defined narrowly, there is a trade association. There is trade media that those people already go to to get answers. Find out what they're covering. They'll know. Yeah. Yep. That's great. And so then what? They know exactly what their lane is, what their niche is. And I know we've talked about that before. And I always like to give the example of my daughter when she went to a Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday party there. They put her in the the wind booth where you have hundreds of tickets flying around and the kid gets 30 seconds to grab as many tickets. (laughs) And you see her grabbing at the air, trying to get as many tickets as she can. And she walks out holding one ticket. And and that's all she got with all that grasping of the wind. So once somebody's got their lane, they figured out what their niche is. They knew who their prospects are. They kind of get an idea of the questions. What should they do with all that? How should they start walking forward, so to speak? Yep. 
in, I would give you two steps here as well. So one would be if you can find out how this group of people tends to like to consume content, because that's changing a lot lately. That's why you and I have a podcast is because busy decision makers like to consume, we'll call thought leadership content when they're doing something else, either mm-hmm. at a commute or they're on a treadmill, walking a dog. Right. It's tough to get a busy decision maker to sit down for 30 minutes and watch a video, say, yeah, or right, right. read a white paper. But they'll do this, right, for however long we're talking. So you want to align, the whole point of that is you want to align the content delivery mechanism with the preference of the people that you're trying to reach. So that's do a great that idea. first. Yeah. And then it's a matter of, you know, plugging all the parts together. And so you've got a question, you can answer it. You've got a way to answer it. It's either going to be a podcast. It could be a blog. It could be a video, depending on your audience, or it could be something like a LinkedIn status update, which people tend to overlook that uh, they feel like the people who are dipping their toes on LinkedIn are almost always like linking to something else. Right. Right. And you'll see my partner, Jay Harrington, is a perfect example of somebody who does not do that. He encapsulates the entirety of the post in a single status update on LinkedIn, usually not linking off to a blog. I mean, you have to link off to a podcast episode because you can't do the audio right online. But that's a good place to start is just start writing 300 word status updates and answer and ask the questions there. There's a whole benefit for that is now you're, you're removing a step that someone might have to take to consume the content, but you're also, you're kind of playing to the strengths or to the, or, or maybe against the limitations of those algorithms that we talked about because LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, they're all trying to increase time on site, right? Yeah. They don't want people clicking off and going elsewhere and not coming back because right. they have advertisers to appease. So if you're doing what Jay Harrington does and what I do and what a lot of our clients are now doing is you're writing the entirety of the post, write us a status update. People can consume the whole thing right there, react to it, make the impression that you want to make. So that might be a way to align the content delivery mechanism with the preferences of the audience. That's great. So how long should somebody stick with this if they, over three weeks, they send out a few status updates, publish articles, send out emails to clients, and their phone isn't ringing off the hook? Mm -hmm. What should their expectations be with social media? Should it be something where eventually they know it's going to hit? Are they taking it on faith? What should their expectations be in that regard? Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, don't expect anything to happen in say three weeks time, which is what I know you just threw that out there, but something is happening in those first three weeks. You just might not see it in the form of a phone call. What you're doing is you're starting to chip away against buying apprehensions. You're building trust. You're establishing authority. I always use the example of how many times a week or a day even do you hear or see an ad for a car, right? Right. And you're seeing tons of them. And you know, if you're leasing, you're not even going to even be in the market for a car for another three years. But that doesn't mean they can wait until everyone's ready for a car to advertise to that specific person. So you don't know. The point of that is you don't know where people are in a potential buying journey at any given time. So to your earlier point, consistency is key. And you have to kind of be there all the time so that when the buyer is ready to maybe raise his or her hand and say, I think I have that problem that you've been talking about solving. Can we have a conversation? They're going to think of you first. Right. So what I ask is to give your answer some specific or the questions, some specifics, I would say commit to challenge yourself to do something for a period of 90 days. Either it's posting once a week, it's posting three times a week, whatever it might be, write down the challenge, make it public. So you're accountable to somebody or something and write it down and then assess where you are after 90 days in, you may or may not have a deal that's making you rich and famous in 90 days. 
But in 90 days, you will definitely see the benefit in terms of more growing your network, right? more enriched conversations with prospects and referral sources, inbound questions and requests for either maybe a proposal, maybe a conversation, right. maybe an invitation to a podcast. You'll start to see the effects. What you know, There's no way for me to predict when the first phone call will come. But it almost always happens, right? So That's right. it is funny because just a quick aside, if you don't mind, a lot of the people who got real active in this this past year because there was really no other way to network were starting to realize that they were getting more inbound opportunities based on personal things that they shared on LinkedIn as opposed yeah. to here's the tip on how to write this or that contract, which right. that is effective as well. But I think the, the point of that story is that if you humanize yourself, which is what LinkedIn allows you to do, being in front of people digitally even, you can humanize yourself, you can some, lower some barriers that we all naturally kind of build when it comes to making purchasing decisions, and you remove some of those. And for those two people that I'm thinking of specifically, we had this guest on our podcast, they were getting deals off of a post that was just like, here's the trouble I had, and here's why I was depressed today. Wow. to do with work, right? Very personal, but started conversations and they got to know people. And then eventually that led to a professional relationship. So do you think that, and I agree with you about posting things related to your personal life, because people want to know, they want to know that you're a human being. And right. do you think people should be cautious of oversharing and not sharing too much about this tragic situation happened to me and now I'm going through therapy? Do you think people should be cautious of that? Or should they just be totally transparent that mm. here I am, warts and all? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think on balance, people tend to overcorrect, especially like professional service providers, because right. they want to have this very professional persona. Right. So they tend to put more guards up than run the risk of, you know, maybe letting the guard down too much. So I think there's a balance. I think you're right. I think you can overshare. You could be too transparent. But my guess is for most of your listeners, they need to loosen up a little more as opposed to tamp yeah. down. Yeah. Right, right. And I think that that makes sense to me. And I like the fact that you can kind of put this all in a very simple bucket of LinkedIn and just stick with one thing. Like you talked before on your other podcast, the Thought Leadership Podcast, which I highly recommend. And we'll put that link on our show notes also. So everybody listening to this, make sure you check out Tom and Jay's podcast because there's just such... Such great advice there. Oh, thank uh, you. And I like I like the fact that it's simple. And in one of your recent episodes, you're talking about Clubhouse and your recommendations and perspective on that. I haven't been on Clubhouse because I'm not exactly an early adopter. I'll kind of stick <laughs> around and, and be on the sidelines before I, I dig in. And what do you think about that? Is that the new and improved, the new next thing or what? What do you think about that? It's funny because I swear to God, and Jay would back me up on this. I told him about two years ago, I said, Jay, the next frontier for social media is audio only. Right. And this is when we started conceiving of our podcast, because again, going back to what I said earlier about how people want to, you know, consume content. I was not, uh, I did not have an angel investor at the time. So I, I could have done the next clubhouse, but <laughs> uh, I did not. I don't know. It's. I think what's going to happen is I think the likes of Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, kind of the, the people who already have the enormous footprint are going to figure out a way to adopt some level of a clubhouse style environment into their existing platform. Somebody might even acquire clubhouse. I think depending on, again, who you are, who you want to be in front of and who you want to kind of commingle with online, clubhouse will be right or wrong for you. I know a lot of 
not a lot, but a significant number of attorneys are checking it out. We tend to focus on attorneys in our practice. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. My gut is telling me it's a little overhyped right now. So mm-hmm. if it were a stock, it would be a sell for me, but I think it's got potential. <laughs> right. Well, I'll have to check that out. Maybe I'll log in and take a listen. Well, I'll invite you to one we do every Friday morning at 830. It's it's for lawyers. It's called uh, uh, LinkedIn for Lawyers. It's a clubhouse. Oh, yeah, I'll invite you to it and you can check it out. That's great. Well, Tom, kind of summarize this. What are three action steps people can take to get started on some of the ideas that you shared with us today? I think the first thing is to figure out what your one plus one strategy is. So the Mm -hmm. half is already email, right? So if I could just reiterate, because I think this is important. There's reason why you can't do just one or the other. So if you just did nothing but email, you only, I mean, you're limited by the number of email addresses you currently have, right? You can't grow beyond that. I mean, you're going to try to continue to grow that list, but it's an effective, what I call middle of the sales funnel platform. People you already have sort of already in your network, and now you're trying to push them down into the bottom of the sales funnel and make a sale. So you've got to couple it with something that sort of works outside of your existing database. And that's where social media comes in. And so the figuring out what your other half of the one plus one strategy is, is the next part, because not only are you going to do one thing to greater effect, you're going to give yourself permission to stop doing everything else. And then that can't act alone either, because again, you don't control the algorithms. You don't control who sees your content when it just can't be your only strategy. So step one is figure out what your one plus one is. Step two is create that list. However, you know, technical or just sort of rough, you want to make it, pad of paper, whatever, the list of questions, and then start mapping that out. Once you have a list of 10 to 12 questions, let's say 12, because it's easily maps to the year, you've sure. got a monthly content calendar already. Um, wow. And so just start planning out your content and get it out there. That's great, Tom. Well, I'm really glad to have had you on the show today. I know people will get a lot of great ideas from this. Tell us a little bit about the services that you and Jay offer And we'll put your contact information on the show notes, but what are some things, the offerings of your services that you have? Yeah, I think the most important, probably relevant for your listenership is our Thought Leader Collaborative, which is one part membership community, one part training, and one part just networking. So it's a uh, a membership community that launches at the end of July, and it's open to service professionals. So accountants, lawyers, consultants, those types of folks who want to learn how to master LinkedIn to grow their business. And they want to network with other people like that. So that I think is a good place to, to go to get sort of a proven pathway. So I took you through like the first three steps mm-hmm. to becoming a thought leader, let's say. And this is the entire pathway to get you from, I'm not sure what I should do to now I have complete clarity and I'm rocking and rolling. Right. And the other thing is, is if you're looking to simplify your marketing strategy, I have a newsletter called The Fix, which is designed to fix what's broken in marketing. (laughs) And you can find that at thefixnewsletter.com. And this will, you will get an actual permission slip to focus on less things and do and sell more. I say it's do less, sell more. That's great. I'll put that link on the show notes also, Tom. Well, thanks so much for having you here. I appreciate the generosity of your wisdom, and I'm sure we'll be having you back on the show here in the near future, Tom. Thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. <laughs>